So the story that I want to read this morning, maybe some of you have heard of it before. It's called David Gets in Trouble. How many of you have read this? Okay. Some of you know what this is about. Well, let me ask you a question before I read this story. And uh, Jeff is going to kind of move around with the microphone. So here's the question. What do kids do that get them in trouble? What do kids do that get them in trouble? Okay, we'll start over there, and then we'll come down through here, and we'll finish up. Say it again. Get dirty. (laughs) Get dirty. Talk back. Talk back. Get outside when your mommy doesn't tell you want to. Go outside when your mommy doesn't say you can, huh? Uh-huh. Not listening to God. Ooh, not listening to God. That's kind of the, that's kind of the core of it all. Saying no. Uh-huh. Not like you've ever done that, huh? Disobeying your parents. Yep. Yep. Wearing shoes in the house when you're not supposed to. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Kick the soccer ball and break the window. Ooh-hoo. Okay. Letting the dog eat the Christmas turkey. Letting the dog Letting... eat the Christmas cookie. Uh-huh. Popping your gum too loud. Popping your gum too loud. That bugs me. A few more Bite on the choir. Bite your parents. Bite your parents. <laughs> Biting your parents. I hate that when that happens. Bringing something from outside that's disgusting. (laughs) Bringing something from outside that's disgusting. Pulling the cat's tail. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, a few down here. We got uh, some over there. What do kids do that get them in trouble? They... (laughs) (laughs) Well, think of it. We'll come back to you. I'm sure it's a good one. Coming back from your friend's house late. Ooh... Coming home late. Slamming the doors a lot. Slamming doors. Okay, one more right here. Breaking the glass window. We have a theme. Breaking glass. Well, I I want to read this story to you because it's a story about a little boy named David who was in trouble. When David gets in trouble, he always says, it's not my fault. He says stuff like, I didn't mean to, when he's riding his skateboard in the house. And the window thing. It was an accident. Right. And when he's trying to do, I don't know what, pull a fast one on his mom, I forgot my pants. Okay. And when he gets to school, no homework like the other kids, my dog ate my homework. And I guess he really did. Wow. And when he's... Showing a weird face in the school picture, 
I couldn't help it. You ever tried that excuse? No. How'd it work for you? <laughs> it's a good lesson to learn. And when he's munching on the dog snacks, but I was hungry. That makes sense to me. And when he's pulling the cat's tail, but she likes it. Right. And when everything comes tumbling down, it slipped. Right. And... Of course, but dad says it. You get a lot of mileage out of that one. And when he goes to eat the birthday cake before the party, no, it wasn't me. And look at the evidence. Well, how does it feel? How does it feel when you do something wrong, you make a mistake, you disobey your parents, and you lie about it like David did. That's not a very fun place to be. And that's what I want to talk to your parents about and you about today. So thanks for coming up. Hope you enjoyed your snacks. Head on back to your folks. Thanks, worship team. We'll see you back here in about oh, half an hour. And uh, head on down. See ya. <laughs> Thank these kids for all the great work this morning. Did you find your mom and dad yet? Anybody know this young man? Okay, there we go. Well, okay, everybody found everybody? Okay, anybody, anybody uh, know this guy? Okay, where's mom and dad? Raise your hand. Okay, here we go. There's your mom. Okay. <laughs> okay. I learned, uh, I've learned already this weekend, I've started my message about 10 times at the beginning of each service. Uh, <laughs> I love this time of the year. David gets in trouble. It, it, it reminds me of uh, when I was a kid. I was probably 8, 9, 10 years old, and we lived on a street, 6th Street, that had pavement that just ended. You, you could sort of call it a cul-de-sac, except it didn't really have a sack. It just had dirt. And at the end of the dirt was uh, just this big field. And we would uh, get our Stingray bikes. Remember those with the long banana seats? And we'd set up these ramps. And, and uh, my big brother used to make me lie down, and he'd ride his bike over me, you know. And, um, and we, would, we would dig these big trenches like in the, in the TV show Combat. You remember that? Although I... It always sort of bugged me. I never got promoted past Sergeant Saunders. My brother was always Lieutenant Hanson. Um, kind of had a grudge to this day. But um, we found, we discovered, I think I was about 10, and we discovered that across the big street 
from this field was a corner drugstore. And in the corner drugstore, for a quarter, you could buy baseball cards, sort of like this one. Uh, I bought this when I was probably 10 years old. Roger Maris. I got this when I was probably 11. Henry Aaron. You remember these names? Uh, Pete Rose. This is right out of my prime collection. You could go to the corner drugstore for a quarter, get some cards and a stick of gum. I mean, these are the good old days. Well, one day, my uh, riding buddies, they came over, and one of them had a dollar in his hand, and he said, the new cards just came out. I saw them yesterday. I found this on my mom's dresser. She'll never know it's missing. Ethical dilemma. Problem. What do I do? So quickly, I rifled through my head, well, maybe there's a dollar on my mom's dresser, And as I was just about to go and grab some money, it occurred to me, if I lie about this, then I'll have to lie about these, and then I'll have to lie and lie and lie. And I looked at my friends and I said, "Uh, I'm not doing that. And I didn't go that day. Uh, and buy the new cards. And I think about that story, and it reminds me of our dear young David. Making excuses, trying to cover his tracks, and uh, trying to, uh, perhaps through blaming others, or simply hoping his parents would forget, covering up bad choices. Well, the scriptures are full of people just like that, who made bad choices, committed heinous acts, some of them, sinning against others and sinning against God. So I'd like you to turn with me and take a look at one of the stories of another David, King David in Psalm 32, that gives us insights into this whole area of making bad choices, trying to cover it up, or what are the alternatives? Psalm 32, and let's take a look. Let's take a look at what he has to say. Verse 1. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. It's as though David is saying there is nothing quite like being right with God, with your sin forgiven, with relationship intact. But then he goes on in verse 3, and he gives us the other side of the story. So we, we know this psalm is sort of a retrospect looking back at some other days in his life of unconfessed sin, trying to cover it up, and the impact of that in his life. And he says in verse 3, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. And he begins to isolate the effects of unconfessed sin. First, he says, hey, there's a physical effect. He says, my body wasted away. Now, not every physical ailment that you have is is a direct result from sin, but sometimes it is. The scriptures have examples. 
of diseases and ailments and things that come as a direct result of sin. There are spiritual effects. He says in verse 4, day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. We see this whole topic of, of God's discipline. Hey, we know from other passages in Scripture that this happens even today. I think of Psalm 66, I think it's verse 18, where it essentially says if there's unconfessed sin in your life, your prayer life will be hindered. I mean, your, your prayer life, your, your prayers are blocked. There are places in Scripture where it talks about your, your spiritual fervor will, will sort of wane and, and it'll sort of die down when there's unconfessed sin in our lives. He says there's physical effects, or uh, spiritual effects, and, and emotional effects. Look at uh, verse, the end of verse 3. He says, I groaned all day long. Now get this. The, the better English word for this word groaned is roar like a lion. It literally means to roar. And I, I get this picture that, that David, with this unconfessed and undealt with sin, there was something inside of him, and it was almost as if he was saying, when I stuff it, or I try to, to stuff it down in, it's like something welling up inside of me, like the roar of a lion, and I have to let it out. Have you ever been a place like that in your life? Maybe it was something small. Maybe it was something large. It's something that you were hiding or supposedly hiding from other people, maybe even from God, and all of a sudden you get to this place in your life where it just starts to well up inside of you, and you can't hold it in, and you have to get it out. I uh, was sitting in my office about, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, and I, I had an appointment one afternoon, and a, a guy, we'll just call him John, came into my office. Is 30-something, been married a few years, and I could just see by the look on his face, he had some things to get off his chest. So he begins to tell me a story, five, six years. Um, he was married, but he had multiple relationships with, with other women, intimate relationships. He uh, was affecting his work, uh, his work performance, affecting his relationships. At the end of his confession, he looks at me and he says, Steve, I just couldn't hold it in any longer. The roar of unconfessed sin. David's describing it as a groan, an ache. It's welling up inside of me and I can't quite seem to run far enough away from it. See, David had firsthand experience with this. You're familiar with some of David's story, but for those of you who aren't, I want you to put your finger in Psalm 32 and flip back to 2 Samuel verse, or chapter 11, and I, and I want you to see how this worked out in David's life. He was the king of Israel, and he could wave his hand and snap his fingers, and anything would come to him that he desired. 2 Samuel verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, it begins to describe a season in his life that took him down a very slippery road. 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, 
Where do we find David? It says, David, instead of going to war, sent Joab, his general, the Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Notice that when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, bad things happen. Late one afternoon, after midday rest, David got up out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. My parents used to always say, nothing good happens if you wake up after noon. Um, I didn't really agree with that in college, but I agree with it now. And as he looked out over the city, snapped his fingers, waved his hand, moved the baton, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty in verse 4. Her name was Bathsheba. Verse 4, he sent his messengers to get her. Bring her to me. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. An intimate relationship begins. Now, do you remember David's first responses to this? It's a while before he acknowledges his sin. Instead, he took this David's strategy... And he immediately began to cover it up. A plot ensued, and you may remember that he went so far as having Bathsheba, the woman in the story, he had her husband, Uriah, a soldier in his army, sent out to the front lines knowing that he had a higher percentage, higher chance of being killed. And he was killed. So you start with adultery and you move to murder. And all of a sudden, you have this tapestry woven through his life of sin after sin after sin. He had to lie about this, and then he had to lie about this, and then he had to lie about this. And he wakes up one day. You read later some of the other effects of his sin. But you might remember in chapter 12, I want to bring you to the end of this chapter of his life, God brings a man, a prophet, his name is Nathan, chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David to tell him a story. And the story was essentially a fictitious, pretend, made-up story. All the pieces of the story had all the players, someone that represented Uriah, the murdered husband, someone that represented Bathsheba, the woman that he took, someone that represented himself, and and the prophet Nathan is telling a story to get his attention. By the way, has God ever used someone that you know and trust to come to you and say, it's you, it's you. I see this in your life. God's done that, and he's used people that I know. To, to bring to my attention things that I, that I haven't b- before yet uh, admitted to anyone else. God brings Nathan. Verse 5, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. It's sort of like you're driving down the freeway and the red light of your dash the red warning light, engine light, comes on and it's flashing. And you reach into the glove compartment and you grab the hammer that's placed there and you smash the red light. Problem solved and you keep driving. Well, no, problem isn't solved. 
Maybe the oil is running out of your engine. Maybe it's ready to blow up. The problem isn't solved by taking the hammer and smashing the red light. In a uh, symbolic sort of way, David has taken the hammer and he's tried to smash the red light. And Nathan finally says, you are the man. Now flip back to Psalm 32. As if in, in a moment of reflection and honesty, David picks up the story in verse 5. Finally, after a season of running from God, after a, a period where I was covering it up, hiding from God, making excuses, I confessed my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me, and all my guilt is gone. I love that song. We will run to you. We will run to you. You make me new. You make me new. All things become new. You see, God was using, in this case, the prophet Nathan to get David's attention. There are effects, residual effects of sin. It will destroy our relationship. It will destroy relationship with other people. David, it's time for you to deal with your sin. Is it time for you to deal with your sin today? Is there something that you have brought in here where you would say, I, I haven't dealt with this. And as you're talking about this, and as I'm reading these words of David, the Holy Spirit has been tapping on your heart, saying, deal with this. If you lie about that, you're going to have to lie about that, and then you're going to have to lie about that, and you've been lying for way too long. It's time to deal with this. So you may say, okay, so how do I experience this, this forgiveness and this freedom? What does it look like today in practical terms? How do I experience this peace with God that we've been talking about for the last few years? Well, I want to give you a quick ABC on experiencing freedom and peace with God as is described in Psalm 32, where you can live and experience today right where you're sitting, all right? The ABCs of experiencing peace with God. A, admit your sin. That's what confession is all about, admitting your sin. Did you know the word confession in the New Testament Greek, it literally means to say the same word as God, homo Say the same word as God. It would be like going to the corner drugstore, putting a candy bar in your pocket, and realizing that is stealing. That was wrong. I'm sorry. Saying the same word that God would say. It would be like my friend John. Relationships, intimate relationships, apart from his marriage, that is adultery. That, the scripture speaks about, is wrong. I agree with you, God. It's sin. Confession is simply saying what you call sin I will call sin, and I will own it. B, be forgiven. 
1 John 1, 9, one of my life verses, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Show that, that screen if you would. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sort of reminds me of another verse in Psalm. Psalms, I think it's 103, 16, somewhere in there. Scripture says, when we confess, he takes our sin and he tosses it as far as the east is from the west. He will remember it no more. It's, it'd be sort of like taking this tennis ball and tossing it as far away as I possibly can. Nice catch almost. Let's try that again. It would be like taking this tennis ball and saying, my guilt has now been taken from me, and it is gone. Okay, one more time. My guilt has been taken from me. (laughs) So he tosses our sin, and he's got a lot stronger arm than I do. He tosses our sin, and he takes it and moves it as far away as the east is from the west. Did I hit something? (laughs) You didn't see that, Billy. He says, he says, if you lay your sin out before me, he says that if you confess, agreeing with, with God, sin is sin, stealing is stealing, adultery is adultery, lying is lying, confessing, agreeing with God, saying the same thing. He will take that tennis ball of sin and toss it way farther than I just did, so far that you can't see it anymore and see. Then we consider it done. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. When you bring your sin before me, it's been, it's been laid at the foot of the Savior. The blood of Christ covers it, and it's done. You may say, but I, I sin so much. You know, would I, would I do this every day? Well, you know, I, I don't know if it's daily, weekly, monthly, but yeah, it's stopping before God and saying, I'm sorry. Name it. Call it what it is. Agree with God and say, I'm sorry, and begin afresh. For some of you, maybe you've never, ever done that before. And for you, you need to begin a relationship with God by simply saying you're sorry, confessing your sin. That's what repentance is. That's saying, I confess, I agree with you, I was wrong, and turning around and beginning to follow Christ. Isn't it a beautiful thing that when we go to the cross, he says, it is no more. It is finished. It is done. So let me ask you, are you experiencing peace with God today? Does that have anything to do, if your answer is no, does it have anything to do with running away the sin in your life? Does it have anything to do with trying to hide your sin from God, which really never works? Does it have anything to do with covering it up? like David, weaving an elaborate scheme, 
tricking God. Friends, I'm, I'm here today to tell you the God of the universe is inviting you to be forgiven of your sin, to restore relationship, begin walking aright with him.